Well, welcome, everybody. Today is a Friday show, sort of. I know it's Wednesday, but it's our last show for the week because of the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday and sort of a a Friday show in format. We'll be taking a few live calls later, but not quite as many as we normally would on Friday. I do have a bunch of stories I want to talk about, and I want to start with what we all knew was only going to be a matter of time. Right wing media is now blaming the victims of the Club Q shooting in Colorado. You know, I didn't cover this shooting already, and I got a couple emails asking why, and I'm going to delve into it more next week, actually. But when these shootings happen, first of all, I will often wait a couple of days because I want to get the information right. And these shootings are so common. I mean, just look at gunviolencearchive.org. Oftentimes, there's not that much more to say. Now, this one had a particularly nefarious element to it in that it does appear that the target was chosen because of anti LGBT sentiment. And because of now the use of the term groomer by the right, which is basically applied uh, as a, a typically sexually predatory or otherwise predatory term to everything from drag shows to just a gay couple that wants to adopt a kid. They are now using that framing to do some victim blaming, and I'm going to play a couple of examples for you. Here is one from Tucker Carlson, where his guest, Jamie Mitchell, who is the founder of an organization called Gays Against Groomers, helps Tucker Carlson say, listen, this is going to continue until we end gender affirming care. Listen to these disgusting people. Right. I mean, it shouldn't have to be said. But what is anti-LGBTQ that these people need to understand and what is putting our community in great danger is, uh, you know, claiming that all of us support this and just associating all of us with this, um, you know, saying that groomer is an anti-LGBTQ slur that is doing irreparable damage to us. Uh, as a whole and is putting a really large target on our backs. And unfortunately, you know, the tragedy that happened in Colorado Springs the other night, uh, you know, it was expected and predictable. Um, We all within Gays Against Groomers saw this coming from a mile away. And sadly, I don't think it's going to stop until we uh, end this evil agenda that is attacking children. Now, by evil agenda, she's referring to gender affirming care, which we've already talked about in detail. It is not some wild, heretical thing. It is actually something based in years and years now of study, and uh, they want to frame it as basically perverts doing things to your kids. So so saying, listen, this is going to keep happening until we stop gender affirming care. They're not even hiding it at this point. There's no consequences for them, at least not thus far. So why would they stop? They wouldn't. Here is another example. This is Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh, we've talked about him before. He's become very known among right wing cultural circles and social circles as the guy who really hammers on this scourge of uh, transgender, gender affirming care, et cetera. Here he is doing another version of look what you made me do to you. That's a classic from abusers. Why do you keep making me punch you in the face? Family friendly drag shows, quote unquote, have two purposes. One from the drag queen's perspective is to satisfy their fetish for cross dressing in front of children. The other on a more macro level is to indoctrinate children into queer theory. To put it simply, the point of drag queen story hour and the child, the the supposed family friendly drag shows is to turn your children queer. That is the goal. And whenever you say that, what <laughs> by I- the way, consider how insane that is. Consider how absurd that is, given the reality of what we know about sexual orientation. Turn your children queer. This is it's it seemed this guy was in diapers when that talking point was already being debunked. Just said right there is going to be clip by Media Matters. Hello, everybody on Twitter. Um, the people who invented it stated explicitly that that is the point to help children live queerly. That's their quote. And the thing about the left is that what they believe and what they do, all of it is so horrifying, so perverse, so degraded that if you just quote them, then you somehow sound like the crazy one. If you quote what they are saying, it it sounds crazy just to say it out loud because it's so horrifying. Yet it's true. And this is the reason the left cares so much about this and they defend it so vigorously. Because according to the left, think about this. According to the left, 
The drag queen child combination has become dangerous. They say it's a lightning rod for violent backlash, right? That's what they said. And it's greatly exaggerated, of course. Mostly it's invented out of whole cloth, actually. But, but even by their version of events, if it's causing this much chaos and violence, why do you insist on continuing to do it? Right. If, if according to you, it's like putting people's lives at risk, if, if the effort to have men cross-dress in front of children is putting people's lives at risk, why are you still doing it? Is it that important to you? Now, as always, they try to flip the burden around on us. They demand that we explain why we object to children being exposed to drag queens. But of course, it's not about objection. It's about violence. And this is, of course, outrageous, right? Listen, if the thing you're doing is angering lunatics so much that they shoot at you, just stop doing the thing. Isn't that exactly the type of speech they say shouldn't be curtailed by threats of violence? It doesn't make any sense. And these folks, this one from day one had a tinge to it where we knew they were going to blame the victims. If you just stop doing this crazy stuff, then people wouldn't go and start shooting you up. Blame the victims. Blame. They, they often do it with rape and they're doing it here. Hey, you know, if you're wondering what happened to all the crime since November 8th, you're actually bringing up a very interesting question. Fox News stories about violent crime are down 50 percent since the November 8th midterm election. There's a very good research piece from Media Matters. Fox's coverage of violent crime dropped after the midterms. Weekday violent crime segments decreased by 50 percent in the week of the election compared to the weekly average since Labor Day. Are any of us surprised? In fact, Fox News decreased stories about violent crime 63 percent. Media Matters has the details. This is not unique, I assure you, to Fox News. We all knew in the lead up to the November 8th midterms that there's stories about violent crime, which of course ignore that, by the way, stories about violent crime in what they call Democrat cities not only ignore the facts of, for example, on a crime rate basis, Oklahoma is more dangerous than New York State. And on a crime rate basis, both property and violent crime, Oklahoma City is more dangerous than New York City. Remember, rates, a lot more people live in New York City, aside from the fact that it's an absurd narrative and that most cities in general are, are run by Democrats because more Democrats tend to live in cities. We also know that it's just a ploy. And I want to remind you, I'm going to give you other examples, all of which I have previously covered because they do this all the time. In 2014, it was Ebola. Remember the guy who went Ebola-ing at Brooklyn Bowl? And at the time, I was like at Brooklyn Bowl the day after, and I was worried, did I get Ebola? What's going on? Anyway, 2014, we knew leading up to the midterms that Ebola was being used by people like Rand Paul stands out and many others just to criticize Barack Obama. That's all that it was. They just wanted to criticize Obama. Obama. And even though there were like, four cases and the one person that died got Ebola outside of the country, if I recall correctly. I mean, it was crazy. And the day after the 2014 midterms, no more talk about Ebola. And it never came back. They never talked about it again. Another example. This is a classic. The migrant caravan coverage. This one was in 2018 leading up to the 2018 midterms under Donald Trump. The migrant caravans are on the way. They're coming. They're coming here. And we know that migrant caravans tell us, oh, there's an election coming up. And of course, as is reported here, migrant caravan coverage plummeted after the midterms. And indeed it did. And uh, also a piece from Vox Fox News barely mentions caravan first morning after midterms. Fox and friends had been just ranting and ranting and ranting about caravans day after the midterms, they quite literally still have the election results up on the screen. This was the day. This was uh, November. Sixth or seventh, 2018, whenever, um, and they barely talk about it. We know the story. We know exactly what they do. It's very clear at this point. Remember not to follow it and ask yourselves the question, not fall for it. Ask yourself the question. Is this getting coverage because it's important? Is this getting coverage because it's accurate? Or is this getting coverage because it serves a political goal or a media goal, which can often be creating fear and titillating and scaring viewers? If you ask those questions, you figure these out pretty quickly. Donald Trump is going bonkers because the Supreme Court has said this is it. 
Your tax returns are going to the House committee that is investigating you. The Supreme Court has said that is it. A Newsweek reporting Donald Trump's tax returns at the mercy of leakers. And indeed, as I've told you before, if and when Trump's taxes get to that House committee, a lot of different people on that committee could leak the taxes. I believe the taxes will leak. I'm not advocating for a leak. I'm not encouraging criminality. I'm merely giving you my prediction. My prediction is that these documents are of such interest that they will leak once they are in the hands of that House committee. And indeed, Newsweek reports the Supreme Court decision to allow Donald Trump's tax returns to be handed over to a House committee will not result in the former president's financial records becoming public unless there is a leak. In a ruling Tuesday, Supreme Court justices rejected Trump's attempt to block a lower court decision to grant the Democratic Controlled Ways and Means Committee access to the IRS records. Now, interestingly, with the House taking over control in January, there is a sort of time is of the essence element to this. But Trump is going bonkers, posting to his platform Truth Social. Truth Central. Quote, why would anybody be surprised that the Supreme Court has ruled against me? They always do. It is unprecedented to be handing over tax returns and it creates terrible precedent for future presidents. Has Joe Biden paid taxes on all the money he made illegally from Hunter and beyond? The Supreme Court has lost its honor, prestige and standing. By the way, a third of the Supreme Court is people Trump picked and has become nothing more than a political body with our capital C country paying the price. They refuse to even look at the election hoax of 2020. Shame on them. I would expect expect that Trump's taxes will leak if the House Ways and Means Committee gets them, particularly if it gets them with such little time to investigate before Republicans take over control of the House. That's a prediction. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed at youtube.com slash. This is new. YouTube is revamping everything. Okay. YouTube.com slash at symbol the David Pakman show. YouTube.com slash at symbol the David Pakman show. One of our sponsors is Sunset Lake CBD. Get affordable, high quality CBD straight from the source. Sunset Lake CBD is a family owned hemp farm in Vermont, growing premium CBD products for sleep and stress without breaking the bank. They ship directly to you from the farm, cutting out all of the extra costs with the big box stores. And because of their unique farm to table approach, Sunset Lake CBD products cost 30 percent less than the industry average. They have gummies, oils, flour, topicals. I'm a fan of Sunset Lake CBD coffee, which uses Rainforest Alliance coffee beans. Many people are trying CBD for stress or pain. Maybe you're someone who likes to take a couple of CBD gummies before bed for sleep. Well, now you can actually take it every time you want to because Sunset Lake makes it so affordable without sacrificing quality. If you already love CBD or you want to give it a try, go to sunsetlakecbd.com, use the code PACMAN for 20% off. They are a socially responsible company. They support what we do. Sunsetlakecbd.com, use code PACMAN at checkout for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pacman Show. The link is in the podcast notes.
good habits have to be sustainable in order to become habits. It has to be something you'll actually do. And when it comes to nutrition, some people have hours to plan out every meal, their exact vitamin intake. I'm not doing any of that. I don't have the time. Here's what's sustainable for me. I start my day with just a single scoop of AG one from athletic greens. It gives me the entire day's worth of the 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and probiotics I want from whole food sources. It's just simple. It's just one scoop of AG one. I get all the nutrients I want. I don't have to do any math, use my protractor, my TI 83 or take a bunch of different capsules and pills. It's not some kind of wacky supplement making a bunch of crazy claims. You know, I would not promote something like that. AG one is just a simple product that does what it says it does. It gives you the daily nutrients and vitamins you likely want vitamin A, C, E, magnesium, zinc, potassium in one simple scoop. You keep your body nourished. You'll also get a free year supply of vitamin D, which I take in the winter, plus five free travel packs at athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Remember that the David Pacman show is counting on you to sign up at joinpacman.com if you'd like to support the work that we do. Of course, we produce the show every day free for everybody to listen to or to watch. It is subsidized by about 1% of our audience that supports us through the membership program at joinpacman.com. You can sign up and use the coupon code 24 starts now. The second woman who was urged by Herschel Walker to get an abortion has now come forward to explain that Herschel Walker threatened suicide after impregnating her. Now, it's so hard to keep track of this. You might remember there was the first woman who said Herschel Walker urged me to have an abortion and I got it. And then he urged me to have another abortion and I refused. And then we had a kid. That's woman number one. Then we had woman number two, represented by attorney Gloria Allred. Woman number two said he urged me to have an abortion and I did it. I believe that this woman that we are talking about today is woman number two, although the reporting is a little unclear and this may be a third woman, but I'm pretty sure it's that second woman. Listen to this. 1993, 93, she learned that Mr. Walker had impregnated her. My client did not want to have an abortion. When she told Mr. Walker about the pregnancy, he spoke about disappearing and the quote afterlife end quote and made her believe that he might commit suicide. Can you imagine this level of manipulation? He also claimed that if she gave birth, both our client and their child would be in danger. Jane Doe stated that she felt pressured by Mr. Walker's threats and went alone to the abortion clinic to have the procedure, but she left crying because she did not want to go through with it. After she told Mr. Walker that she did not have the abortion, she stated that the next day, Mr. Walker drove her in his car to the abortion clinic to ensure that she had the abortion that she did not want to have. Listen, I'm sure there are more details to all of these stories and also stories we haven't heard. At the end of the day, there are many reasons not to vote for Herschel Walker. His extreme personal hypocrisy on a lot of these political issues is one reason. His complete lack of morals is another reason. His inability to explain what his policies would be is another reason. His lack of understanding of policy is another reason. And also, The fact that Raphael Warnock is a pretty damn good senator. There is already someone doing that job who is doing a pretty good job. Everyone must vote on December 6th or during early voting. If you live in Georgia, we will be live with those results. And just the situation gets more disgusting just about every day. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on on this very powerful erection. Yes, but Herschel Walker flanked last night on Fox News by Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Ted Cruz said that what's happening in Georgia, this erection is about the people. Well, first of all, this election is more than Herschel Walker. This erection is about the people. (laughs) Want to hear it one more time? 
Well, first of all, this election is more than Herschel Walker. This election is about the people. Yeah. Ted Cruz visibly moving his eyes and then trying to play it cool. Listen, I don't really have much else to say about this for a guy who impregnated so many women and then urged them to get abortions. This is quite the Freudian slip. Vote Raphael Warnock on December 6th. I want to look at a couple clips from a recent episode of the Stephen Bannon program. Stephen Bannon interviewed a guy almost as ubiquitous as Cher or Madonna, a guy we know of as Pillow. Of course, I'm talking about my pillow CEO and founder, Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell makes it clear he is willing to lose everything over the machines. We're doing a class action lawsuit against all machines. Listen to this. It is surreal and beyond parody at this point. How does that make you feel since you've had your business destroyed, your life destroyed, your employees destroyed? You're not in Walmart. You're not anywhere because of your crusade about these machines, sir? Well, Steve, it doesn't matter if I if it takes me to lose everything. I want to save our country. How does that make he was willing to lose everything? He told me during our interview that he's in about 30 million dollars so far to this election nonsense. Still no proof from him about any of his claims. And by the way, one other funny note about this interview is about Twitter. Mike Lindell is angry that even though all sorts of right wingers and spreaders of lies about the election have been unbanned from Twitter since Elon Musk purchased it, he hasn't. And he's angry. My my shout out to uh, Elon Musk would be, uh, you know, if your such should be a new platform of uh, of free speech. Yeah. Um, but yet you're going to carve out the guys that talk about our election crimes and our election integrity. Um, I don't think it's that free, Steve. I think it's. I, I think I would like to do a shout out to Elon Musk right now. Hey, check out the evidence. I was banned because <laughs> uh, I was telling the truth. And that's that's uh, that's disgusting. And I, to be one of the few people that's hold, still hold banned. Hold, hang on. Hang on. Hold on. Hold, 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 hold. They, they have not reached out to you and asked you for the evidence you had and ask you. Yeah. Elon is going to personally decide whether to unban pillow after looking at his supposed evidence, which he's never revealed to anyone. Every time I interview pillow, he tells me he'll send me the evidence. He never does. He told me he would send me pillows. He never did. One other funny note on this. After pillow airs his grievances about not being unbanned, Bannon actually says, I don't even want to be on Twitter because it's uh, funded by the Chinese Communist Party. I have no interest in being on Twitter. I would never be on Twitter because it is financed by the Chinese Communist Party, and Elon Musk got to come forward and prove to people that it's not. Tesla, the whole deal stinks to high heaven. Yeah, it all stinks to uh, Steve Bannon. Listen, I believe we're coming to the end of the pillow arc, thankfully, in many ways. I still am unsure. Is pillow a grifter or is he a victim of the grift? I can't tell. I used to ask, is he does he believe the stuff he says or doesn't he? I believe. He believes the stuff he says. That seems really clear to me at this point. The next question is, is he one of those perpetuating the scam or has he simply fallen for it? I believe he believes it either way, but I can't tell whether he is a primary node or a reactive node. Let me know what you think, and we'll have all these clips on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman show. I love cooking at home. I cook all the time. Having a good set of knives that you actually like to use is really important. For years, I have been a fan of the advantages that Japanese knives offer. And our sponsor, Kamikoto, makes amazing Japanese steel kitchen knives using the traditional techniques that date back to the Edo period of Japan. Kamikoto only uses steel from Japan. Each blade takes years to craft and goes through a rigorous 19 step inspection process with a lifetime guarantee. The knives come in a beautiful heavy duty ash wood box, makes it a really great gift, easy to store as well. On the Kamikoto website, you can see a map of the Michelin star chefs all over the world using Kamikoto knives. My Kamikoto knives at home have been performing great for years. You really just can't beat the feel of a nice Japanese knife perfectly balanced in your hand. And Kamikoto is now running a big Black Friday sale. My audience gets an extra $50 off 
Go to kamikodo.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. That's K-A-M-I-K-O-T-O dot com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for an extra $50 off. The info is in the podcast notes. If you have a friend or loved one who is passionate about the environment, here is a perfect holiday gift. Our sponsor, Established Titles, is a project that lets you ceremonially purchase as little as one square foot of dedicated land in Edelston, Scotland, so that you can call yourself a lord or a lady like the historic Scottish tradition. Some people even change their plane tickets or credit cards to include lord or lady. Your title pack comes with an official certificate. You can see exactly where your plot of land is located. It makes a perfect last minute gift. But most importantly, established titles plants one free tree for every plot of land sold. Established titles does really good work all over the world with reforestation organizations like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future. So you'll have a great laugh whether you're Scottish or not. I'm not. But you're giving the gift of reforestation to fight climate change. If you use my link, you'll get 10 percent off and your plot of land will be right next to mine. You can see it on a map. Go to EstablishedTitles.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman for an extra 10 percent off on top of their Black Friday deal. The link is in the podcast notes. Let's go to the phones a couple of days early. Uh, we are off on Thursday and Friday for Thanksgiving, so we are taking calls today. We take calls via Discord at davidpackman.com slash Discord, and we're working through some technical issues, and let's see if we can do it. Let's go first to Toby from North Carolina. Toby, if you can hear me and if you're unmuted, let me know what's on your mind today. Uh, hi, David. Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Hi. Right, so um, recently with the um, shooting in Colorado, um, at what point do you think we should start holding people um, accountable for um, the hateful rhetoric surrounding uh, gay people and trans people and other marginalized groups? Because it seems like you could draw a pretty direct line between uh, violence and um, these people's rhetoric. Well, listen, morally speaking, I think it's pretty clear that there is already what we might call responsibility. And in fact, we did a segment um, earlier about how they're going pretty quickly to the victim blaming and saying, listen, these groomers should expect what's going on because of gender affirming care and so on and so forth. So morally speaking, we're already there. Legally speaking, we're really kind of talking about a type of stochastic terrorism and it we've talked before about how it is really difficult to hold people legally responsible when you have an audience of, you know, five million and you target some individual or a group and then one person goes and does something. I'm not saying anyone specifically said go and do this at this particular place, but when someone goes and does something legally speaking, you're, you're not really going to be able to hold them accountable based on current law. And I don't even know exactly what a better law would look like. I'm, I'm just not weighing in, but I just don't think you're really going to be able to. All right. That's all I got. Thank you. All right. Toby from North Carolina. Thank you very much. Appreciate hearing from you. Let's go next to Steve from the San Francisco Bay Area. Steve, welcome. What's on your mind today? Hey, David. Nice to talk to you again. Likewise. Um, I, I was trying to think about um, how we can get more uh, taxes out of corporations, you know, because historically we're at a pretty low rate right now. Um, and we don't also want to disincentivize them and you know send them away i don't know if that's a real argument but anyways i was thinking about an idea where perhaps there was some sort of sliding scale as far as the tax rate relative to a corporation's profit what do you think about that idea you're basically just talking about a, a progressive bracketed system for corporations yeah basically like certain industries of course have very high profit margins like um like the beauty industry and things like that um others not so much but I'm I'm saying like, hey, if you're making huge multiples of your your revenue, you know maybe you have a higher tax rate than a company that's making a smaller tax. Or a I don't know margin. that I would do it by industry, but I actually think there's lower hanging fruit, and this is something that a lot of Democratic lawmakers have tried to go for, which is 
we need to have a minimum tax for corporations. And this has been part of a number of different proposals. And to be honest, I don't remember if it's part of what Biden wants to do. The the idea is you can't deduct your way all the way down to zero taxes the way some corporations have done. And part of what you do is you have to eliminate certain mechanisms uh, and it's sort of beyond the scope of this particular call. But, you know, before we go look into progressive tax rates for corporations, there are very profitable corporations that pay literally zero or have a negative tax rate that needs to be eliminated with something equivalent to the alternative minimum tax for businesses. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, places like Amazon are famous for that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's a very good solution. And I, I can get behind that. All right, Steve. Well, thank you. Everything good in the Bay Area? Uh, yeah, it's uh, nice and about 65 today, enjoying the California weather. Oh, that's a great temperature. It's hard to beat 65 in my book. <laughs> yeah. All right, Steve, thank you. Hey, thanks. All right, the San Francisco Bay Area, always great to check in. Let's go to Tim from Binghamton. Tim, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Thank you, David. Um, can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Awesome. So I'm a teacher. I've uh, called in before a longtime listener. I think you're one of the best voices on the left. Thank, Thank you, you for everything that you do. Pleasure. Um, and I just want to talk about an epidemic happening in our schools. Um, I've been teaching for six years now, and I have watched the progression of the addiction to cell phones with kids mm -hmm. reach a remarkable level. It is Something that, you know, we ask them as teachers, we don't have a universal policy, but we ask them, hey, put these phones in a bucket during the instruction time and we're going to try to get you focused. And they cling on to them almost like heroin addicts. Yeah. And I, I just don't know um, if there's enough national attention around how we are bringing these kids up with these devices. Um, and I just I want to know your thoughts on how we might approach this as a national discussion. I'm basically with you as to the level of problem that this is. I, I think it really is an epidemic. I think there's a couple different things here. This is a separate issue from adult so-called addiction to social media specifically. I think there's two different things and we want to make sure we deal with them differently. What you're talking about, uh, I, I see it firsthand in a lot of my friends who have kids and from those who teach in schools, I also hear it. And there clearly is something physical that goes on with these screens, even like with my baby daughter, who's not even six months old. Sometimes like if she's just handed to me for, for two minutes and I'm sitting in, at my desk, even if I face her completely away from the screens, she starts craning her neck trying to get a look at the screens and we don't show her any screen. So I, so I just basically walk out of the room. Um, it does seem that there is something just physical going on here. And my concern is attention spans, inability to focus, inability to do what Cal Newport calls deep work. So at the societal level or at schools, I have no idea what the solution should be. I know I'm going to take a personal approach, you know, and for now it's basically no screens period and we'll revisit it at some future period, you know, future point. Uh, but no, I agree with you. It's an absolute epidemic. Yeah. One last quick point. I did work at a charter school for a brief amount of time where mm -hmm. they took the phones at the door. Yes. Um, and that had a huge uh, impact on teaching and learning. It was incredibly powerful. I just don't know if public schools have the resources they need um, to, it, I mean, it'll take an army to get yes. the phones at the door and it it's going to be a battle. And it's, and it's something that the parents aren't all on board with because they text their kids in school. It's an absolute nightmare. That's what I was um, going to say, just, which is I've, I've know people who teach at charter schools who have had good luck with that. They even have these devices that like you hold the phone, but the phone is in a device. I forget what the name of it is. You just can't use it until the end of the day. But there, there is that issue where for, for many kids, parents are relying on that in case they need to communicate anything in case there's an emergency or whatever. I don't know how frequent that is. I don't know how good of an argument that is, but I think even parents would resist It's nonsense. That. It's nonsense, you say? Yeah, it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. it, it is. So um, anyway, I'll let you get some more calls. Uh, you're awesome, David. Keep up the great work. Happy holidays and uh, enjoy the time with your family. All right. Thank you. And likewise, a uh, big, big time holiday coming up here in the United States. Let's try Colin from Oregon. Colin, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? 
Uh, David, can you hear me okay? Yes, thank you, please. Hey, uh, I appreciate the previous caller. I'd like to ask you some questions about fentanyl. Okay. Now, is it fentanyl or is it fentanyl, the way Donald Trump says? Honest, I honestly don't know. No, the I think it's, I think it's fentanyl. You pronounced it beautifully. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I read a lot of stuff, just like everybody else does. Yep. And the reports that are more, more recent are saying, well, China's producing fentanyl and they're shipping it to South America. And these immigrants are pouring through our borders. Right. Uh, bringing fentanyl. But the truth, the honest truth is we have seen fentanyl in all 50 states. Yes. So it's getting here somehow. The thing is, I miss I was misled. Um, I thought actually maybe there were some people in our country that were producing fentanyl and just distributing it. What can we do to stop the flow of fentanyl? You know, this is a, a very complex issue that clearly is not going to be solved with a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, it is true that the primary source countries for fentanyl and related substances that are trafficked to the U.S. are Mexico and China. Um, India is increasingly a source for both the finished fentanyl, but also some of the precursor chemicals. There are seizures at the border, but we need to be looking at ports of entry, including airports. And and you also have to be considering that if you fix the issue as it might be seen, fixing it right, using the language of the drug war, if you fix the issue of the fentanyl that's trafficked in you then incentivize the domestic production. So then you have to figure that out. So I, I don't think there's a simple solution. But what I can tell you is like the issue isn't something Biden did at the U.S.-Mexico border. Right. They're saying that, well, if we just close the border, right, we could stop the 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 um, the what's the word, the metaphor of immigrants pouring in. Yes. Do we really think that immigrants do? Is it I mean, the, the numbers, the, the numbers did increase. When Biden took over, the numbers of immigrants did increase. But of course, we also said we won't separate your kids from your parents anymore. You know, yeah, but the other thing you have in. to consider with that, Colin, is what the oftentimes these right wingers cite the increased number of apprehensions as evidence that more people are coming in. But remember that those people are being apprehended. There's a different case to be made, which is, oh, maybe Joe Biden is having a better job done at the border where we are apprehending more people and fewer are getting in. Now, I'm not saying it is that way, but when the right likes to use just that metric, it's kind of it's it's quite dumb, actually, to just use that metric. And I've talked to many right wingers and I said, you know, that they used a border wall campaign fund to uh, grift up like a millions of people and raise a few million dollars. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you didn't hear about that. Oh, you mean the so ban they, and the, the ban and build the wall thing? Yeah. Well, oh, they yeah. think that that Trump didn't get to build the wall. And the thing is, he could have. And what they said was that, that what they say is like Biden said no and stopped all procedures. And there's just fence line just standing by. What? So I don't. Is that true? Um, I honestly am not sure. It, it, it's hard for me to keep track of all of the different claims that that they make. But all of the ones I've looked into so far have not been accurate, but that one I'm just not familiar with. Yeah, I live in a pretty conservative. I'm trying to make I try to make middle ground with a lot of these folks around here. And they yeah. tell me this. And the thing it's hard. to. It's just what you when you get gish galloped when they're like, look at all these. And you're OK, I can only take this one at a time. Right. But the most of the responses that I get are largely just like a like a shotgun. Like you said, shot out of a cannon. It's so many different discussions all at once, like Mike Lindell. It's too much. And this, you and know, you Sam Harris, love him or hate him. He has a really good podcast on this where he explains why he won't like debate Brett Weinstein on vaccines, because he said the problem is, you know, these folks can very easily come in and set like 10 small fires and you might only have the tools to put out nine of them. And they go, yeah, but didn't you see that study from like Bangladesh where they like ivermectin cured everything? And then you're like, well, no, I didn't see it. But now you can't respond. Then it becomes a mess. I think lose lose. It's It's not a discussion. Yeah, it's not a discussion that's taking place. You're not having a good faith discussion. It's a I have the the whole alpha male. I have to win this discussion. I have to win this argument instead of maybe understanding you might be actually wrong about something. Right. Absolutely. Colin, you couldn't have always, possibly anyway, said it hey, any better. Anyway, sorry. I, I want to say I'm, I'm grateful for your show and I'm grateful for you. Uh, thank you so much and have a nice day. Uh, you too. And have a good holiday. And are you are you doing turkey? Are you doing multiple roast chickens? What are you doing? Our family is very diverse. We're just kind of do, we're doing a plethora of options. I know we're doing like a smoked mac and cheese. Wow. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't know if you're into that. Are you uh, smoking we, it you know, with cherry wood or what are you smoking with? Oh, we have a Traeger. Um, we just, you know, it's just a recipe. We've never tried it before, but you got you, you, you bake the thing and then you, you smoke it on a Traeger. Absolutely. You're not going to use like liquid smoke though. You'll use real smoke. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, good. They, I knew I, I could tell from just talking to you, you would never resort to that. <laughs> sir, sir, I have high standards thank when you. it comes to culinary science. Um, thank you. Colin, have a great holiday. Great to hear from you. Let's go next. Uh, it's great to check in and see, see what everybody's plans are. Let's go to um, let's go to Ricky from Charlotte. Ricky, you can unmute yourself and then I'll be able to hear you and then we'll we'll be able to talk and it'll be great. Ricky, you are self muted, but you can unmute and then you will be all good. Hey, Dave, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. OK, awesome. I wanted to ask you, I'm trying to sort of digest the um, results from the election and get an idea of a lot of the meanings of the results. And one of the things I was thinking about was the the Republicans underperformance. What does what do you think this means about um, a lot of the rights uh, efforts and investments going all in on uh, culture wars and uh, and especially like a lot of their um, uh, a lot of the investments they've made in alternative media seem like outlets like. The Daily Wire, Turning Points USA, and um, and and then just you know a, a plethora of different like online streamers and people like Tim Pool and like all, all these things that are doing like the disaffected liberal dance and yeah. and things like that. And seeing that it it, it seems to me like I, I'm I'm just surprised that none of it has really shown up electorally. I mean, is is that surprising? I don't think it's surprising, and here's why. Um, based on what we saw online. It wouldn't have been crazy to expect Bernie Sanders to win the 2020 Democratic primary. If you looked online, you would have thought Tulsi Gabbard certainly must have more than two percent support. And Bernie's probably going to run away with this thing. And of course, that wasn't the case because so much of, of what voters do doesn't involve posting to Twitter and Reddit or whatever the case. So sometimes we, we like misunderstand the size of a movement based on looking at social media. Similarly, even though, for example, in the lead up to 2022, much of what we heard from Trump and Carrie Lake and others was about they stole 2020 and I really won and all this different stuff. Um, a lot of Republican voters are not interested in that. And and to some degree, they rejected it. Right. They rejected J.R. Majewski and John Gibbs and Carrie Lake and Tudor Dixon and so on and so forth. Now, I think the risk is some people look at one election and they take some huge overarching um, uh, conclusion from it. And we really shouldn't do that. Each election gives us a little bit of information about a couple of things. So like it's not that the stop the steal stuff isn't real within the Republican electorate. It's just not quite as popular as it might seem from following Trump. And so it didn't go that well for Republicans. And so the important thing I think for Democrats to do is to try to get a better grasp on what isn't working for Republicans. And for example, it was a good strategy for Democrats to play up the the big lie stuff in 2022 because they correctly assessed a lot of Republicans aren't going for it. I don't know that there has to be some grand takeaway, but it's a lot of little takeaways. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with uh, a lot of the little takeaways, um, uh, the themes, uh, you know, in the in the results. But the I guess the, the thing that I I'm just like really interested in is it, it seems to me like on a national level, like the Republican politicians have really like adopted a lot of online rhetoric and language. And you see like a lot of proximity with what, um, you know, this, this new movement of like young right wing conservatives, you know, like Ben Shapiro and the yes. Daily Wire and Charlie Kirk and all of them. And, you know, and they have these things like they have CPAC and the, uh, Charlie group like has uh, Charlie Kirk's group has like multiple events and stuff per year. Yep. And I'm, I'm like, is that is that just be like, is it just they're investing in all that because they're trying to push back against the fact that there's this rise in young voters that are left wing and they're yeah, scared to some about degree. It? Yeah, I think they see the demographics. They know that 18 to 29 year olds are voting pretty left. And and unfortunately, they are smart to do what they're doing. They are pouring money into trying to grab up those young voters. And, and so my concern is 
even though 18 to 29 year olds and soon to be 18 year olds are a huge opportunity for the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party doesn't seem as committed to pouring the money into independent media shows and events and this type of thing. The right is smart to do it and the left needs to get on the ball. Yeah. Um, so you think it could eventually start showing some electoral effect? It could. It could. OK. Yeah. Um, well, I, I hope that uh, they catch up on this because, it, you know, I, 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 I mean, I am glad to see that they weren't able to effectively make, you know, trains and the kids is this number one issue. I don't think anybody really voted on that and stuff, but um, they're clearly like trying a lot with this cultural. With they this absolutely cultural are. Virus. They absolutely are. We got to be ready. Uh, yeah. Ricky, thank you for the call. Thank you, David. All right. There is Ricky. Why don't we go next to Gabe from Louisiana? Gabe, welcome to the program. Hey, David. Hey. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, so uh, I have a question about uh, the Republican response to the 2022 midterms. Okay. So I was very much scared that many Republicans would refuse to concede. However, based on what I've seen, it seems to mainly just be Carrie Lake unless yeah. there's someone I'm not aware of. No, it's basically you Carrie have, Lake, yeah. Yeah, so do you have any idea why they may have backed off from that? Do you think it might be because they see that you know, the Trump candidates didn't do well, so they're trying to distance themselves? Or what do you I think, think about that? I think it's two things. I think it's number one. Um, they saw the trend and a lot of these people lost and the idea that it was all fraud, even if some Republican voters would buy it, seems like a very hard case to make because a lot of these were individual state cases. That's number one. Secondly, mm -hmm. I think it's that it's now been two years of Trump and people around Trump trying to overturn the results and it hasn't worked. And if Trump wasn't able to do it, I can't imagine they think they will be able to succeed. So I think it's some of them recognize the futility of it. OK, awesome. That very much answers my question. Thank you so much for your insight, David. I really appreciate it. All right. Gabe from Louisiana. Great to hear from you. Let's go to Lexi from New Mexico. Lexi, welcome to the program. And Lexi, you've got to unmute yourself. You've currently self muted. And only if you turn that off, will I be able to hear you? Hi, David. Can you hear me? Yes. Sorry, I was in the process of making sure I was completely muted on Discord, so you didn't beautiful, yell at me. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so I'm a, a young voter. I just turned 18 uh, in this last June, mm -hmm. so I got to vote for the first time. Beautiful. And something I saw, at least here in New Mexico, in my voting bases, is how active, especially the older voting group is, just yes. firsthand, compared to younger voters and like um, Gen Xers. Right. And then seeing in my own classroom and even in like my parents, friends and everything, how so many people still have the mentality of whatever I do, whatever I vote for, it doesn't really affect me in mm -hmm. politics, especially when it comes to national politics. So many people just don't think that their vote matters and don't really think that anything big is going to happen. But I think the reason we've started to see that change a little bit more with younger voters is the Republicans rhetoric with against the LGBTQ community because so many young voters and young people are part of that community. Yes. Um, so they I, I think it's going to be hard for Republicans uh, going off what the caller a few callers ago uh, was talking about for Republicans to fully grab onto the younger voting base because they are pushing that issue so hard. I tend to but, agree with you. I think unless they ease up a little bit on that stuff, they are going to struggle with the 18 to 29 year old, but not not necessarily because 18 to 29 year olds are part of that group, but to some degree, because 18 to 29 year olds don't see it as logical to be attacking individuals who are LGBTQ. Yeah, because even if they're not part of that group, a lot of them have friends in that yes. group or they know people in that group and everything. So, yep. yeah, I agree. But my question is, how do you think Democrats can not only start to mobilize more younger voters, but just all the people who are center and center left who I know who just don't go and vote? Because from my perspective, I see that it's much more likely for the people who are center right and right to go vote than the people who are center left and left to go vote because Democrats are just so bad at mobilizing and motivating voters. And that's well, why I think Stacey Abrams did so well it. in Georgia. I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I don't have any special insights on get out the vote. This is a known issue that get out the vote is tough on 18 to 29 year olds. But 
I think the instinct you have is absolutely correct. The right is pouring money into it, as I talked about earlier with another caller. And unless the left starts doing it and activating people with these glitzy events and wrestling style intros, I hate to say it, but <laughs> the right does some of that stuff because it works and uh, the left needs to figure out how to do it. Listen, Lexi, I'm going to let you go because I am out of time. I appreciate everybody who called in. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. One of our sponsors is Monk Pack, making amazing granola bars and the nut and seed bars that are chewy, sweet and delicious. But I especially love them because each bar has only one gram of sugar, two to three net carbs and about one hundred and fifty calories. Perfect if you do keto or low carb or like me, you're just trying to stay conscious about sugar intake. You get the satisfying, crunchy, salty, sweet experience you were looking for without the sugar. Monk Pack comes in flavors like sea salt, dark chocolate, caramel sea salt. They launched two new flavors, which are great peanut butter, cocoa chip and dark chocolate cocoa. I keep Monk Pack granola bars and nut and seed bars in the pantry at all times. They're great on the go for a quick snack while you're working. If you don't love them as much as I and our team do, Monk Pack will refund all of your money or exchange the product, whichever you prefer. Go to monkpack.com and you'll get 20% off your first order with the code Pacman at checkout. That's M U N K P A C K.com. Use code Pacman for 20% off. The info is in the podcast notes. Let's get into the mailbag. If you have something to say, you can email info at davidpacman.com. Sometimes we will pick something from uh, a YouTube comment or a Twitter message or whatever the case may be. I want to start today with someone who feels very, very strongly about Donald Trump. Even after Trump's announcement that he is running, this individual, Jr. says Trump's not running. Jr. says he ain't running. He can announce all he wants, but he's ultimately not running. I'm so sick and tired of his big, fat, miserable ass enough already. Either stroke out or have the big one and die. I don't care. Die, old bastard. Die already. This is very aggressive. When will the decades of coke and meth abuse finally get him? I'm over it. America is I'm over it. America is over it. Just at least have the dignity to go off somewhere like an old cat or dog. Be your fat old self and croak already. Please spare us any more of your ugly misery. So Jr. is exhausted by Trump. But I have to tell you, I believe that he's running. That being said, we talked earlier in the week about a path in which a failing Trump campaign prematurely ends before the first primaries. And we explored that in detail earlier in the week. I don't think it's completely implausible. One other comment about Trump 24 from Nathan. The subject is MAGA. Nathan says in his announcement, Trump said he will make America great and glorious again. Will he rebrand his movement to Magaga. Very good question. I don't believe he will, but there should certainly be some kind of rebranding. The current branding is really not so good on the topic of getting men out of women's sports, as the right loves to say. Alex had a really good thought. Alex said, hey, David, I don't believe Trump would even have the power to ban trans individuals from participating in the sport association that lines up with their gender identity. Aren't sports associations private entities? If they allow a trans male to female to participate in a sport formally consisting of majority cis women, that is their own choice. With all due respect, Alex. Yeah, this is actually a very good point. So there's two issues here. There's They claim to be about small government conservatism, and yet on social issues, there's no one that wants more government involvement than they do. The truth is that all sorts of different um, athletic organizations have already had systems established to determine who can participate and and what does it mean to qualify to compete as a woman. This This is not a new issue, even though they want to make it seem like it is. It's not a new issue. It's been around for a while, and many of these leagues have already dealt with it before. There's running leagues that have dealt with it. There are weightlifting around the world. Okay, so it's not not a new issue. Secondly, they say we want the lightest possible touch from government. Government should only be involved in anything when it is absolutely necessary and in the public interest. And one of the things they want to choose is who is in which sports league. So that's part two. It's not really small government. 
And number three is absolutely correct that with many of these leagues, they are completely private. The one area where some legal scholars say you you might be able to kind of crowbar government in would be when it comes to state college athletic programs, things involving Title nine and in some other narrow circumstances. But this is another very good point, which is it's not even clear that legally whatever Trump imagines he would do on this issue, aside from it being bad faith, aside from it not even really being an issue. Scott Galloway on yesterday's show told us that in South Dakota they were passing a law about this and that there is not a single instance of a quote man and women's sports that they've actually had to deal with yet. They want to pass a law about it. Um, a lot of problems with with all of this. And let's hope that Donald Trump never even ends up in the position to do it. Steve wrote in about the fact that all of those people that travel around the country to all the Trump rallies, they weren't invited to Mar-a-Lago for Trump's big announcement. Steve writing in Trump fans from rallies not invited to Mar-a-Lago. David, sir, I found it interesting when I looked at the crowd of people that attended the 2024 announcement at Mar-a-Lago that none of the typical Trump fans that we see at his rallies were invited. Could it be that Trump doesn't like to hang out with his faithful rally goers? Listen, I have said this before, not that we needed more proof, but I have said before. Trump doesn't like the people that voted for him. Trump as a rich guy from Queens, Manhattan, spent most of his life away from the folks that ultimately became his constituents and trying to be nowhere near a lot of those folks. And now he has built this persona where I mean, think of it at age 68, he suddenly is religious at age 68. He's suddenly against abortion. He likes uh, uh, the boaters of Florida. He likes country music. None of it is believable. It is all a character necessitated by the reality that Trump couldn't win a Democratic primary because there are some standards in the Democratic primary. I'm not saying that the standards are amazing or anything to write home about, but there are at least some standards among Democratic primary voters. Among Republican voters, there are absolutely no standards. And that's why Donald Trump had to run as a Republican, despite the fact that he was probably really a Democrat for most of his life. Next email is from Greg and Greg brings up something that I think is completely implausible. Greg says Trump DeSantis 2024. David, I write to you with tears in my eyes and fear in my heart. I'm very afraid that Trump and DeSanctimonious will make up in time to join together on a ticket in 2024 with the promise that Trump will back DeSantis in 2028. Do you see that as a possibility? I really don't. You know, sometimes we look at some of these scenarios and we say statistically there's some sense to it. Trump and DeSantis right now each have roughly 40 ish percent of support, depending on which poll you look at. It's 50 30 or whatever for the Republican primary. The math of it should be DeSantis supports Trump. On the understanding that Trump chooses DeSantis as VP, then DeSantis has a path to be president in 2028. The math of it makes sense. What doesn't make sense is ego and narcissism will not allow it. Donald Trump's ego and narcissism and maybe to some degree Ron DeSantis's, I don't believe will allow that scenario to become a reality. If you disagree with me, let me know. I'd be curious to hear from you. John wrote in. John wants to talk to me about guns. John wrote in saying, I own 24 firearms, many of them assault weapons. Hello, David. I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. I was wondering if it would be possible for us to have a conversation, quote, on your show. I don't know why that's in quotes about what the role of guns in our society should. I'm guessing he means should be including kinds of guns people should own, including assault weapons, etc. I promise I will treat you with the utmost respect. While I would consider myself a strong conservative man, I'm glad that it's he's not just conservative, he's strong. I am generally open to other people's ideas and feel I can be persuaded if I feel a person I'm talking with can make a sensible argument. My number is blank. Hope to hear from you soon. By the way, please blur out my number. Yeah, listen, we take calls once a week and you can call in. This isn't exactly the type of call we would schedule. But, John, I would love for you to call in when we are taking live calls and then we can chat about your perspective on assault weapons. I am curious why someone needs 24 guns. 
Maybe you're a collector. I don't know. But that's that's an open question. Carolyn wrote in about an issue with Instagram, and this is this is horrifying that this is going on. I've told you about this before, but it's still happening. Carolyn says, hey, I know you're having you were having problems with TikTok due to malicious reporting. It appears that Instagram may have also taken some sort of action along the same lines as I received an error message on the app stating the following. David Pakman show can't be at mentioned because they have repeatedly posted content that goes against community guidelines on false content about covid or vaccines. Carolyn says, if it's a problem you're aware of, I apologize, but I've been a member and a listener. I don't recall you mentioning. Yeah, this is this is insane. There is no way to appeal it. Instagram's appeal process. So here's what happened. Basically, we published videos debunking misinformation about vaccines. They were flagged by Instagram as videos pushing disinformation about vaccines, which means no one can tag us on Instagram. When we try to appeal it, there's an appeal process, but you have to submit the videos in question that caused the problem. But those videos have been removed, so we quite literally cannot file an appeal. So I appeal to you in the audience and really with tears in my eyes. If you work at Instagram, Facebook, Meta. If you can help with this, I'm desperate for your help. Our Instagram is being hindered dramatically because people can't tag us and they can't share our content in that particular way. If you can help, please email info at davidpackman.com. We have a great bonus show for you today. We will talk about so many different things. Huge announcement. Our white paper on talking to family on uh, at Thanksgiving about things you disagree about is now live and available for free. We produced a guide which you can get at davidpackman.com slash guide for free. I'm, I have nothing to sell you here. It's a free guide. People call in all the time. They say, David, how do I handle this? That conversation. We have like a, it's like a 10 page paper. Got really, really good. Davidpackman.com slash guide. Read it before your Thanksgiving conversations. Let me know if there are things that should be added, modified, whatever. Free. If people like these, we will do more of these guides. We have a great bonus show for you today. Join Pacman.com to get instant access. I hope to see you there.